You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. As I said, this is episode 43 of Boston Loose Baseball. I'm Grant with Danny and producer Darius, making everything sound smooth. So, 43 Nationals uniforms. I got Matt Albers, who also, of course, pitched for the Milwaukee Brewers. Matty Albers. I got Rick Enkeel. Having worn number forty three in in his uh, one of his seasons here in Washington, anyone else jump to mind? Those are the two that I could find with some quick research. No, I'm way worse at remembering jersey numbers than you are, so I wouldn't have even pulled those two. The Rick and Kill story, just as a quick side, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting footnote in baseball history. And you know, at, at when he came back as an outfielder, you know, probably an unremarkable overall player by major league standards, but it really is incredible how he was once. The pitching prospect. He was once the guy. It was the prized possession for the St. Louis Cardinals. Came up and he was throwing gas and his breaking ball buckled people. And he was so nasty. Caught the yips. Started over in the minor leagues as an outfielder and made it back to the show and was an everyday player for a little while. Pretty amazing how it went. His probably biggest highlight here, Jeeps, and I want to see if you agree with this. He had a throw from center field where nothing happened. So I think it was like either a, a, sack, a, a potential sack fly or otherwise, and the, and the runner took one half step and just watched in abject horror as Rick Ankeel threw a strike from about 330 feet away. It was one of those, oh my God, his arm is still absolutely beyond incredible. Just an amazing thing that that guy was able to get back to the show and, and, and have some success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the story with Ankeel specifically as a national because you know the numbers when you look back at them, aren't particularly good. He played 122 games in 2011, and then he played 32 games in 2012 when they obviously made the playoffs and won the division and got to the postseason for the first time. But his OPS plus was 81 and 85 in those two years, and you know his ops was 659, 694. He did hit 14 home runs, You know, showed some power, but you're right, the tools were legit, and the fact that he kind of had a second career, and how many guys can do that? It's amazing. Very few is the answer. Go from... You get to the big leagues as a pitcher, then you have to start over, and you get to the big leagues as a hitter. It's just not a thing. Uh, Matt Albers, I always liked him a lot. He came to Baltimore from Houston, if I remember, in the Miguel Tejada trade. I think I am got that right with Luke Scott and some other guys. Uh, Matt Albers, I liked him because he was a portly fellow, and as a portly fellow myself, kind of a chunky dude. He did not look like a professional athlete, kind of looked like a nerdy guy you'd see at a bar wearing a flannel shirt uh, with, like, Poorly grown facial hair. Um, it sounds like I'm knocking Matt Albers. That's not really what I'm, I'm intending to do. I liked Matt Albers. But the thing about him that I always found hilarious, he would tug on his like jersey and his hat after every single pitch. It looked like he was so uncomfortable. He like was he was allergic never to the material. Yeah. Comfortable 
in a baseball uniform. I don't know if it was ill-fitting or why, but after literally every single pitch, I'm pretty sure every where he went with every single team, but certainly here in Washington, he would like tug at his jersey and kind of reposition how it was tucked in, but then he would always tug at his cap. It was like a every single pitch thing. Uh, that's that's my best Matt Albers memory for you. Am I remembering this right? It wasn't the plan, but I feel like there were like a few weeks where he was closing for a Nationals team that dramatically underachieved. Does that sound right to you? I mean, did he have saves? He <laughs> did. I, I, I doubled. I mean, he had two saves that that uh, during the course of that 2017 season. But it feels like they were down to option number like 16, and it was like Matt, Matt's like the, the manager was like, "Do you want to do it?" And Matt Albers is like, "No." But okay. <laughs> I mean, he might have gotten save chances just on like B or C days when guys weren't up and available. But yeah, I mean, it, that would make sense. I mean, there were some rough stretches for the bullpens at that point in time. So I could see Matt Albers having spent a week or two as the the top option in the back of the bullpen maybe when some guys weren't healthy. Uh, but I always liked uh, Matty Albers. So there you go. Episode 43, a couple of guys. And that's it for us this week. That nope. uniform number. Uh, we're back at it next week on Bustin' Loose Baseball. I actually thought we should talk a little bit about what's going on in the Major League Baseball postseason, just from a Nats perspective, because it is pretty amazing how much Nationals flair there is in all of these games, for lack of a better phrase. So we could start in the NLCS. Game one of the league championship series, the big story for the Phillies, was Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber both hitting home runs. Yep. Bryce Harper obviously drafted, developed, and became a star, won his first MVP award with the Nationals here in D.C. And then Schwarber, who had one of the most iconic and legendary runs in Nationals history before moving on from D.C., being traded to the Boston Red Sox, for Aldo Ramirez last year, uh, hitting what was, by the way, one of the most impressive and prodigious home runs I've ever seen, like point blank. It was... 488 feet, and it was 120 miles per hour off the bat. And it felt every every ounce of that. I mean, it was unbelievable. So just to put it in context, the Nationals, during Schwarber's time here, had one winning month over the course of that year. And it was the month that Kyle Schwarber turned into Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, you know, incarnate. He was, I've, I don't remember seeing a hitter that great in kind of this non-steroid era. Really, for, for that month, he was so scolding hot, it was unbelievable. He basically let off every other game, it seemed like, with a home run. And then if he didn't lead off with a home run, he would hit one later on in the ballgame. The guy was absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting role having him be a leadoff man here, but it's just a presence at the top of a lineup that just, you know, you, it's it's tough for pitchers because you make a mistake, he can do that. It's not one of those, like, pesky little leadoff guys that might work the count and slap the ball the other way. Uh-uh. You make a mistake, you throw him a cookie, it's going 488 at about a million miles an hour. So that was game one. The Phillies take a 1-0 lead in the NLCS. Game two, the story again was that former Nationals came through. It was on the other side of the equation, though. Juan Soto, after losing a ball in right field in the sun to the old sun monster, as Bryce Harper used to call it with Jason Worth, came through in the clutch big time for the Padres and delivered a massive double later in the game that helped get them over the hump in their comeback. For the performance overall, Juan Soto was just one for five with that run scored in RBI uh, with a strikeout in the game. But one of the biggest swings of the game came from Josh Bell, who hit a home run down the line and then later had an RBI knock, drove in two, went three for four as the DH for the Padres. So you had a combined four hits, 
and three stakes from Soto and Bell, who Washington traded to San Diego in that blockbuster that brought back the Nats. You know, five key pieces for the future. And it wasn't just those two in the game. If, if you you know look at the box score, some heavy lifting in that comeback was done against former Nationals great Brad Hand. Brad, Mr. Hand. Who could not get an out and gave up two hits and one run earned because he was bailed out after he left. I still maintain, and Brad Hand's butt-nice guy. We had him on the show, and I remember uh, did a great interview with him. And I, I do. I, I root for him. He seems like a good person. But he was so bad in Washington in his less than one full season here. Uh-huh. I mean, you can make the case that almost single-handedly, and, and that's maybe aggressive, excessive, hyperbolic, not nice, I don't know. But you really can make the case that almost single-handedly he led to the fire sale in 21 because of how many games he blew, because of how many leads weren't safe, and then that Orioles series, and I might be misremembering this, you could tell me, but I'm pretty sure when they got swept by the Orioles, they had leads in the ninth inning when he was trying to nail down a save twice, and he blew those games, and they got swept, and it was like on the drive home from Baltimore, as we now know, that Mike Rizzo was making calls saying, we're trading Max, and we might have to trade Trey as well. Yeah, that's pretty much it, kind of kind of a deal. Um Single-handedly is aggressive. It's a little bit aggressive because that team underachieved. But, like, he was really, really bad. Every time they could have nailed a game down. No, it felt that way. It got really difficult. Uh, I, I would say he was an accelerant <laughs> in, in the conflagration, in the teardown. Uh, like, if, you know, we're talking about taking a building that used to be tall and strong and, and hardy and could withstand anything. He was a wrecking ball. I mean, he didn't take out. Everything, but he took out the East Wing. So, yeah, I, it, it is interesting to, to think about. He went through a— What were just, his numbers here? So, overall, I don't think they were crazy bad. Let me let me look back at it. Because I'm looking at the game logs in July for what you're talking about, and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, oh, my God. I feel God. like his ERA was probably like 3.7 or something that's not terrible. But if you look at just kind of the— 3.6, 3.59 yeah. overall. And, and what so, was his FIP? His FIP was— Higher than that. 4.34. Yeah. So, again, not like— 4.3, though— as a closer, it's, it's pretty terrible. Nobody's saying that it's good, yeah. I, but it, it wasn't like you know, I, I don't have a great comp. It, you know, it wasn't like Henry Rodriguez saves in twelve first blown or, saves. Let me see. He had to have blown five or six games. He saved twenty-one games, and why can't I find blown saves? Oh, it's on Baseball Reference. They don't have that handy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Isn't that, awkward? Isn't that annoying that they don't have that handy it's on baseball annoying. reference? So I'm ruining the podcast by now. But. That's all right. I'm going to pull it up while you're talking. Yeah. but My prediction is that he blew five or six games. It, it, and it felt worse than Which, that. Which, by even. the way, if not for those five or six games, and I'm not expecting perfection, but let's say it was only two games, you know, maybe you're not selling. Maybe you're closer to the wild card or yeah. what have you. But it, It's all reasonable. I mean, so... It he, was a nightmare is he, my point. Yeah, he was an integral factor in it. And this was the, you know, when... It, We've talked to Mike Rizzo so many times about it, and he's sort of, you know, his actions have said this as well, how he feels about constructing bullpens. You got the number? Five blown saves. 21 out of 26. On the nose. And that was not even at the midway point of the year. I mean, the— You're on pace for basically 10 BS. Yeah. Uh, His his feeling always about about bullpens was, 
they're so fickle from year to year, right? They're, they're, the performance is up and down. So a guy that's reliable, Mr. Reliable, everyday Eddie for a, for a manager, he'll keep going to him. So now you've got 70-plus appearances for some guy, and then we kind of look up. We think of a dude as reliable. Well, he falls off a cliff after a year or two years or whatever. Well, why? Probably overuse because for every time you're getting up and going in a game 70 times, you probably got a, uh, uh, as, as the boys like to call it, can I say this on the podcast? You got a dry hump. In the bullpen, where you warm up and don't come in, which guys hate. Uh, that was the whole Matt Thornton, um, uh, Matt Williams kind of uh, issue so many years ago, where guys were furious about that. So, yeah, Rizzo's philosophy on building bullpens was we'll just sort of do it midstream. We'll find somebody that's throwing well and, and go trade a middling prospect for it, and that's just how we'll do it. Occasionally, that backfires, right, where you don't overpay for a guy like a Brad Hand. You don't overpay for a you know a Papelbon or a Rafael Soriano or whatever. I mean, there. I always point to this when it comes to bullpen philosophy. We'd come into the season, and go, yeah, their bullpen's the weakness. They won 98 games with uh, Brad Lidge, who was throwing about 10 miles an hour less than his prime in Houston, and Henry Rodriguez as co-closers. They figured it out as they went, and that's always what they'll do. Occasionally, though, that does backfire, and that was one of the times I think it did. We did way more breaking down of Brad Hand than I thought we were going to do. We today. hadn't planned on it. I mean, we've just brushed past Harper, Schwarber, Soto, and Bell, and there's just a lot of diving into the bullpen usage. Hardcore hand talk. With Brad Hand. That's what people come to the uh, Boston Loose Baseball podcast for. Don't forget about Craig Stammen, though. The Stammer. I don't really know what's going on with his status, but he is a longtime national and longtime Padre now who has a chance to win a ring as well and is part of the Nats theme as you watch these games. I saw him exchanging a lineup card the other night. Uh, he was one of the longest-tenured Nationals ever. Ryan Zimmerman, the longest-tenured, I believe, Strasburg Clippard are the only other guys with more years of service. And then there's like 20 dudes who have been in the Nats for seven seasons, one of whom is Craig Stammen. Stammer, so he's in that conversation as well. All-time great guy, too. It was always it was always great for a, a quote or a chat or a convo um, among media folks. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman and some others referred to him with a very – Rare, I don't want to say, what's the right word here? Gave him a very dignified title. He had an official title on the roster. Do you remember what it was? I do not. Craig Stammen was known as their tournament director. Any and all things gambling, fantasy football, putt-putt challenges, off-site activities, Craig Stammen put those things together. He was the commissioner of every league they did. He was the guy that was running the survivor pools, the fantasy leagues, fantasy basketball, football, you know, as I said, like golf, betting on the off days, whatever it was, Craig Stammen was the guy that got that together. And everybody needs a team like that. You know, I, I always think of the, the the Bobby Bonilla story coming to the Orioles where it was 25 guys, 25 cabs, and he's bringing everybody together. Now, Bonilla, obviously a great player, uh, especially at that point, and Stammen's a, a you know, middle to late inning reliever, but still, every team needs a dude like that. All-time great guy, Craig Stammen, rooting for him. Nice thing for Bobby Bonilla, too, is with that $1 million he gets every year from the Mets. Yep. He could buy everyone their cab or just pay sure. for the bus that sure. drives everybody. Dinner's on me as of about 20 minutes ago when the check hit my account. Which is a lucky thing for Bobby Bonilla. So that was the NLCS Nats flavor. On the American League side, not nearly as much in terms of former Nats. But obviously Dusty Baker's managing the Houston Astros. I think that a lot of Nats fans probably want Dusty and Houston to win the World Series so that he gets that long-awaited ring. Because he's put so much into this game for so long, and you'd love for him as one of the most accomplished regular season managers of all time in terms of wins and divisions and postseason appearances. He's had nothing to show for it in the playoffs. 
So my guess is there are plenty of people listening to this pod who love the Nats who will pull for Houston for Dusty's sake. And I don't belittle that. I have no problem with that. That's your prerogative. Um, I also would like Dusty at some point to win a title, uh, but I would like it to be after this run with Houston, ideally. Uh, I can't root for the Astros, and I actually think, you know, call me cynical, call me nefarious or a jerk or whatever. Uh, I think part of the Dusty Baker hire was 100% for this reason, so that people are pulling and rooting for them on Dusty's behalf because he is so beloved and he is such a good guy inadvertently. You know, they wanted nice columns. They wanted people to, to not be as mean to them and as angry about them when everyone was angry and hated the Astros because they cheated. And so they hired the guy who has the most relationships with power players in the media who the writers say the nicest things about. And the evil team became a somewhat kind of evil team that's led by this beloved man. And it changed the narrative right away. So I think that it was partially strategic. I see right through it. I'm not rooting for the Astros. I will not be rooting for the Astros anytime in the foreseeable future. I don't think it was partially strategic. I think it was 100% what you just said. Because that team is built with computer programs. That team is built with nerds and player development and Yeah, whether it's Dusty or someone else, they'll win their 95 games and make the playoffs. You, me, everybody listening could could walk in, fill out that lineup card with some input from a couple people, and it'll be optimized, and you'll have a little index card as to say when to go to which reliever and what matchups, and you could manage that team to mid-90s wins because they're excellent. And it's annoying that they're excellent, by the way. In fact, it's infuriating that they just continue to be really good. They replace... You know, stars that have departed, and of course now the next one is Jordan Alvarez, who is unbelievable. Uh, how how great that guy is! He's going to be one of the you know the best players of this generation, in my opinion, as, as a slugger. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a fascinating phenomenon with with Dusty Baker. There are a few guys that kind of get this status, and he's probably it's almost like I almost want to call it Dusty Baker status, where if you criticize the decision. As a, as a baseball watcher, as a fan, in, in a very reasonable way, the reflexive defensiveness of a cadre of dustyites, of, of, of people that have been in the media for however long, who otherwise criticize everybody, will throw hand grenades in any room, whether they know what's going on or not, it's fascinating. It is one of the most bizarre things in the world. Like, I, uh, there's there was a guy locally here in town, I'm not going to name any names, but who demanded that... Uh, you know, a, a head coach on the football team, you know, be fired because he was terrible and he couldn't do anything right and he was a boob and 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 had no idea what he was going on. But when a question was asked, hey, does it is it does this make sense having a guy that was a you know a street free agent who was teaching classes? Does it make sense to have him hitting second when you've got all these great guys uh, back lower in the lineup? That was you know met with. Well, did you interview every single person on the roster to see how they felt about the batting order decisions? Like the the standards are bizarre, but because Dusty did it, it must be the right thing. It just turns to gold when he believes something or or orients himself that way. It's always been so strange to me. Again, all time great guy, hilarious, makes you feel like a million bucks. He does little things like he'll play you on your birthday, or you yeah. know if, if you're if if you're going to your hometown, he gives you like the morning off to have breakfast with your parents. I mean, whatever it is. He's just a great people person, and that's what this organization needed, quite frankly, because they're ready-made. They're so good. He just is there to make everybody feel good and feel happy, and if they are that, they'll win their 100 games. Yeah, and he is a good manager. But he is. I would also say that he gets hired to, to manage good teams now. I mean, he's kind of got that status where like, you're, we're bringing you in as a team that is yep. really, really good to Do try you have to, a ready-made contender? Exactly. Like, you go help us get to our 97 wins. 
The problem is none of those teams that are good enough to make the playoffs have made the run, and maybe the Astros will this year, and, and he'll finally get his ring. I just got the list. My buddy uh, Zach Bausch sent it to me, and so I'm going to I'm gonna pass this along. So Zim, 16 seasons, most ever for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Strauss, 13 seasons. Tyler Clippard, because of this year, third all alone, no longer in the wow. tie with everybody else, eight seasons with the Nationals. And then you got a slew, like a dozen guys with seven years, of which Craig Stammen is one of those guys. So it's Trey, Michael A., Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper, Gio Gonzalez, Jason Wirth, Danny Espinosa, Willie Ramos, Ian Desmond, Craig Stammen, Jordan Zimmerman, and Ross Detweiler. So after next season, if Fetty and Robles are still here, they will be tied for fourth on the all-time list in seasons with the Washington That's Nationals wild. at seven. Pretty crazy. Uh, but anyway, I thought uh, that was just interesting to throw out.